Welcome to How Publishing Works, from Caxton to Kindle. I'm your host, Kate MacDonald. Today, I'm in conversation with audiobook producer Aaron Dutton from Audio Factory in Somerset. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Good to have you here. So let's start with the obvious, obvious question. What is an audiobook? So uh, an audiobook, or they used to be called talking books, is a read of a book uh, in audio <laughs> for um, people to listen to rather than to read it in the traditional way. Um, I believe it started actually as a service for people with uh, visual impairment uh, and it's obviously progressed to today where it's it's in a, another sort of form of entertainment medium um, competing with all of the various entertainment mediums that we have now. So it's really a, a crossover between something to amuse yourself, but also a different way to read a book by having someone read it to you. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think obviously um, every consumer will use it in a different way. Uh, personally, I grew up with some eye issues, so I found reading very difficult. So for me, uh, when I first got into listening to audiobooks, it really opened up a new world for me. Um, being able to kind of go into those worlds that other people have spoken about to really follow, you know, all of the classic kind of um, popular texts that were always referenced in popular culture. Um, but more and more people are coming into sort of listening to audiobooks for various different reasons. Um, I think as well nowadays uh, with everyone's busy schedules, uh, the rise of podcasts, perhaps people have started to listen to audio in their spare time, maybe while doing other tasks. And uh, I suppose for, for many, there's a natural transition then to, from podcasting to audiobooks. I think that's true. I'm, I'm pretty sure that when podcasting really got going in the late 2010s onwards, Audible and audiobooks suddenly became much more apparent in the landscape of things you could subscribe to and different ways to read books. Yeah, definitely. Um, I actually remember, because uh, I've been listening to podcasts since around then as well, um, early on when, when advertising first started to come into podcasts, Audible adverts were quite prominent uh, on most podcasts. So obviously, you know, it's, it, it makes sense. There's a market there of people that are listening to audio. Did working in sound production work come first for you? Or were you already working in publishing before moving into audiobooks? Um, we were working in uh, audio production before moving into audiobooks. So um, to give you a little bit of an idea of, of my background, I studied uh, media communications, which had a, a university, which had a production element to it. So I did radio production and TV production. My skills on the technical side, uh, <laughs> they're not really the best. So I was um, often involved in pre-production and pro project management. Um, script writing was my passion when I was growing up and I still write now to this day. But um, when I started um, a job in a warehouse after university, I um, was working with a guy who was into, he'd just done a music tech degree and he wanted to make a podcast for his portfolio. So we took one of my old scripts and um, we turned it into an independent radio series that we released in podcast format back in 2009. 
Um, and we went on to to sort of found Audio Factory, and we were we signed up to pitch ideas to BBC um, in a way that you can't really do now. But we received commissioning briefs, and that allowed us to then put ideas across. and And we were lucky enough uh, to be commissioned to produce series for CBBS Radio, which is the kind of preschool channel for uh, the BBC. So we were doing that for a few years, and then um, the audiobook work followed, really. Um, I think it was a case of being in the right place at the right time. We were asked to work on a book by Emma Newman, who's a, an author who was based in Shepton Manor at the time, uh, and she was narrating her own audiobook for one of the American um, audio publishers, Brilliance Audio. Uh, and that's where we started, really. Ah, yes. I've, I've, I nearly did an event with Emma, but she had to pull out because of illness. But yes, oh. <laughs> she is a big name in the Bristol scene, certainly. Very of good, course, very yes. Very good writer, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm interested in audiobooks because recently Hachette, one of the famous big five, one of the biggest, uh, one of the five biggest English language publishers in the world, said that it had seen 81% growth in its audio formats in the last three years, which I find astonishing. And so the news story was based on the fact it was reorganizing its audio production team accordingly. Has there been a boom then in audiobooks, as far as from your perspective, or has it, has it just been more jumpy? Um, I think for us, it's an interesting question, I suppose. Naturally, with any company, as you grow and you you build a bigger body of work, your portfolio grows, more and more people stumble upon you. But we certainly have seen a huge rise in in inquiries, um, especially from sort of smaller publishers, independent authors. We're getting a lot more inquiries from those um, kind of clients on a daily basis, um, as well as people maybe sort of transitioning into audio, but from other areas like um, charities and businesses that are looking to um, get publications out in that format. As well, obviously, the the major publishers, Hachette being one of them, is a, is a publisher that we work with regularly. Um, and we've definitely seen more commissions from those publishers too. So I think... Uh, in answer to your original question, for us, it's been a pretty smooth rise every year that we're, we're taking on more commissions. Our team's growing. We're working with a wider group of narrators, producers, people that are coming to us that have got the experience in the post-production. Can you describe your your setup then? Have you got your own studios? Yeah, so we have a studio. Um, so we, the Audio Factory, there's, there's two of us full-time, my business partner Dave Perry and I we we co-founded the company um we work with several freelance producer directors uh, it's kind of the same role uh, and that you know they work alongside the narrator throughout the process obviously with narrators there's a the way that we started we we gave opportunities to a number of narrators that were based in the southwest that hadn't worked on audiobooks before and now have done hundreds of books between them um and then everyone else in the process is also there on a freelance basis so there's a lot of editors that wouldn't necessarily be working on audiobooks all the time you know working across 
other um, audio mediums, um, podcasting, sound design for games, traditional voiceover, commercial voiceover. Um, but yeah, so we have our own studio. That's where we, we produce most of our productions. But at the same time, uh, I suppose as a result of the, the pandemic and, and how everyone kind of reacted and changed, there's been a, a huge rise in the number of narrators that have very good home studio setups. So we now link with many of those as well, and uh, produce remotely. And um, so, yeah, we have a, a mix of the two and it gives us a bit more versatility in the way that we can schedule productions and cast. And obviously we're working with narrators that maybe wouldn't have been able to maybe come to Somerset previously. It really depends on the production and what it requires. Thinking of narrators, I can still remember. Um, well, when I read Paradise Lost by John Milton, which isn't often, but now and again I dip in for other reasons to do with my editing work, I see Paradise Lost on the page and I remember instantly the knitting I was doing when I first listened to it on an audiobook when I had to teach it for the first time. So the fastest way to get through the, the poem, which is colossal, was to listen and I did a lot of knitting and it's a bright green jumper which has long since gone the way of all jumpers but yeah the immersivity the immersingness whatever the phrase is of listening to a book and getting it in your head it's for me it's so much more powerful than reading so that has got to be down to the talent of the the narrator I call the voice actor you call the narrator so how much if of your work is with narrators yeah, so for me personally, my role at Audio Factory, as as well as managing the company alongside Dave, I'm involved in the casting process. So I'm I'm working, speaking with narrators and looking at running auditions and perhaps guiding them through auditions. And then obviously, once we get into the process, I also work as a producer director. So when we actually get to the studio sessions, I'm then there with the narrator through the whole recording. Um, guiding them through it, acting as a sounding board. It depends on the the talent too. Obviously, every every audiobook production has its different challenges, and you have narrators with different levels of experience. That some are very competent in terms of um, they've been doing it for years and years and years, and they they need support, but maybe not as much as someone who's coming into audiobooks for the first time. But yeah, as a as a producer director, I'll be working with voice talent on a daily basis. So let's think about the, the process of making an audiobook. When is the decision made to record a book? I mean, when you get a commission request, does that seem to come fairly early in the production process for the book? Or do you get the impression that the book is already fairly well on its way, being a printed book? Yeah, and um, so it, it does vary. I think um, most of the time now, a lot of our clients, they're looking for a simultaneous release so they're looking for the audiobook version to come out alongside the book in other formats and you have to really work off the final manuscript from an audiobook recording point of view obviously if you were to read a version of the book that's in its earlier stages it still has a round of edit editorial sort of changes to be made um potentially you could be going back and rehashing and doing a lot lots more work and it becomes a lot more complicated then so we always need to work off of the final manuscript mm, yeah and then as a result um 
you, so we are coming on to it quite late in in the process in in that aspect. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, publishers will have their schedules organised so that they know when the this, the the book is going to be available. What every stage where the book is going to be beforehand. So you know we may get booked on a production while the book is even still being written in some circumstances, and we might run an audition if if we need to. Um, using some of some some content that maybe isn't the final content but is in fairly good shape and then obviously you know we're booked in advance and the recording dates are in line with when the final manuscript has been ready and then obviously we have a deadline you know based on how how much of a lead-in that they need from a distribution point of view so the book for some platforms uh, it takes from the moment you upload the files, it maybe takes four weeks to, for the book to be able to be available on on the retailers that that you would expect to find your audiobooks. So that's a long time. My goodness, because e ebooks can happen in twenty four hours, often less. Of course, yeah. So there's a lot of um, from the from the publishers or the rights holders' point of view, there is a lot of planning in advance mm -hmm. in terms of um, you know we will be booked on a month, maybe six months before it's um, due for release. Um, in some circumstances, though, again, uh, you you may be creating a backlist title or there might be a, a sense that maybe the, the publisher has kind of come to it a bit later and therefore they can't necessarily get simultaneous release, but, you know, we will schedule it in and record it and, and have it fully produced Yeah. Um, at the earliest time yeah so you're a bit squeezed really between the very last stage of the manuscript and then publication date um and let's hope the publisher really does appreciate how long an audio book takes because you are you are up against it and it's their schedules you have to adhere to they can't wait for you yeah i think from our side we you know we try to plan realistically um but mm -hmm. again <laughs> and, and we've noticed this uh, during the pandemic and often in the winter when you get the kind of cold and flu season Ryan. sometimes um you are at the at the mercy of of the the narrator's health um <laughs> so um you know many productions can can go sort of sideways a bit if um there's a bit of a bug going around so you you mentioned doing auditions for the the narrators how does that work do you do a how do you select people for audition, or do you sometimes do an open call? And um, for our company personally, uh, we we like to, we work with a small pool of narrators that we've established a working relationship with. We are obviously working with new narrators all the time, but we like to do a a fair level of due diligence to make sure that we're ready to to work together um especially nowadays if there's home studio recordings as well we're doing a lot more in terms of um testing their setup and make you know having a conversation about the way that we work on audiobook production because it does vary between studios in terms of auditions uh it really depends on the client um i'd say in the uk there seems to be, there doesn't seem to be as much in terms of auditioning as elsewhere. It's a lot, a lot of it is being cast based on a body of work and uh, recommendations. Yeah. So, um, you know, I may get a, a casting brief through from a publisher and, and then I'll send over a list of candidates with links to their previous work and 
it's quite a small industry in some some regards. So quite often, you know, you can say, oh, I, you know, I heard this narrator on that book that's similar. We think they would be a good fit. And it's mm-hmm. more likely that the person, the represented, the representative out there, publisher may know that writer anyway because they've perhaps worked them before or they've heard them yeah um, word of mouth. when we work with say uh Hachette audio in in the u.s i know it's, it's uh they say it's Hachette on the credits rather than ashe or whatever mm. but um when we work with them uh quite often we have to send through free samples so mm-hmm. free auditions um so therefore we'll we'll kind of develop a bit of a short list and then we'll send out an audition that, that they've pre-selected. In other instances, especially when we work on the independent side with uh say an, an indie author that's that's new to audio, we'll have them fill out a casting brief with some questions that we've, you know, set up in advance and giving as much information as they can about the book. Um including some character breakdowns and mm. tricky accents that might be there or you know some details about the the genre and their target audience at times as well and then usually what i'll do then is i'll go and cut an auditions extract from the manuscript and then i'll i'll put a call out within our pool of narrators uh who can then you know submit an audition and then we cast from there what is it like trying to work with an author who has insisted on reading their own work for either because it's a lot cheaper or because they are so passionately invested in the work that they they know they're the best person to narrate it it depends again who the who the, the client is so quite often if the author is working with a publisher they've been commissioned by a publisher and the publisher owns the rights then there isn't necessarily a guarantee that that author will be in that position to demand that they can record the book um it does happen more often in non-fiction i would say uh, and i think that there are pros and cons with that um i think it, again it has to be sort of assessed on a case-by-case basis um certainly what we like to do I suppose what's what's good for us is as an independent company, we we can look at any project and we can give an honest opinion and also we can say whether we feel that we're the right fit to work with, work on any production. And so when it comes to authors wanting to narrate their own books, we're obviously open to it, but we need to kind of get a better, better understanding of where their level of narration is and then also to develop a, a bit of a directorial plan and a production plan. Um, when it comes to working with them, because quite often with um, an, an author narrating their own book, if you were to hold them to the standards of a professional narrator, you might actually find that that really you lose that sense of the author's personality and everything can be too rigid if you're really pushing them that hard. So maybe you're a bit more relaxed with the narration style and it's a bit more conversational and maybe you're a bit more forgiving in other areas as well in terms of what we would usually pick up on. And from a marketing perspective, the author narrating their own book could be a, a really good extra bit of marketing puff. It could be a, a good thing for the book sales. Yeah, definitely. I think as well, it depends on the profile of, of the author. And when you get nonfiction, and I suppose people, someone that, that people know already, to hear it in any other voice just might not work. Um, I recently worked on a production for DK um, with... Charles Dowding, who's 
it's in the book's called No Dig, and he's kind of uh, quite big on YouTube in terms of promoting this style of um, yeah. of, of gardening and growing your own produce. Um, and he's got a big following on YouTube, and the publisher really felt that it would be strange for anyone else to narrate that book. So um, what we did, there was a version of No Dig Out before the one that we did for DK, but what we did is we had Charles in the studio. I did some one-to-one work with him doing some voice coaching, really looking at his narration, seeing where we could improve it. And then a few months later, we obviously um, recorded the book together and um, it put us in good stead. But equally as, as well, um, I knew that he would need, need more time than another narrator, a professional narrator. So we we put that across to the publisher and we developed a plan as a result of that. Um, and I think the book came out really well. Um, and, and one of the upsides as well with that is that he really knows the subject in and out. Uh, and simple things like pronunciation research. If we were doing that with um, a professional narrator that was, you know, reading that book on behalf of Charles, um, the pronunciation research side of it would have taken us yeah, days. So, you know, while while you may sort of add some days in one area on the production side, on the pre-production side, yeah. we were saving a lot of time. So you really have to weigh it up on a case-by-case yeah. basis. So the preparation a voice actor will do before beginning the recording, that's all paid time. Yeah, yeah. So basically, um, it's its common, more common than, than not, to have everything in the audiobook world is it's done on a per-finished hour basis. So as a studio, we'll be offered a, a budget, which is a per-finished hour rate. So there's X amount per finished hour for all of the work involved. And then obviously when we're casting a narrator, they'll be on a per-finished hour rate. So all the producer, mm. director, the editor, so on and so forth. So, you know, if, if a book is 10 hours, it would be 10 times that rate. Um, so uh, that that obviously covers all of the work in, involved. And <laughs> with the best will in the world, the breakdown is quite fair. Um, books that are going to take a lot more pre-production work, um, for example, if there is a book, like a historical fiction that's set outside the UK that has lots of foreign nouns that have to be researched then we will we will obviously look at that and we'll add a surcharge for that perhaps or um, include it in a a higher per finished hour rate a voice actor having to tackle fantasy fiction invented names invented pronunciation that too must be as difficult as familiarizing yourself with an accent that you don't know about yeah, definitely. And um, I've been in a position where I've have directed a lot of fantasy titles, and um, I suppose that's it, it. Depends on again. There's a lot of variation generally within how studios approach things. Um, we always have a producer director working with a narrator who is assisting in pre-production. So in in on those books, on those fantasy books, quite often I would be going through and kind of looking at the audio side of that language and looking for consistency and trying to. Um, you you know record samples in advance so that we have that consistency through, so the narrator knows exactly how we're going to pronounce this kind of word, you know, this place or <laughs> this craft or, or you know anything that's kind of um. Oh, it's an audio style sheet. That's what you're doing here. Of course, yeah, but um, you know, there are there are studios obviously that uh, work differently within the UK. Um, I, I'm aware there are many where. 
there isn't a producer director who's prepping the book and working with the narrator through the process. There's a lot more in terms of self-direction coming up where the narrator is working on their own or the narrator might go into a studio working alongside an engineer who hasn't read the book in advance. So it really does depend on the studio and their ethos, I suppose. But for us, we we always have a producer director attached to every production and I also manage the producer directors um i suppose as a senior producer if you like aware you know i'll be involved in the process to consult and to um mm. to kind of offer my support in that area so reading aloud is exhausting and even for the trained voice it must be so tiring so how long or how short is it is an effective recording session yeah that's a good question so it's funny i, I suppose because obviously we're we're in the hands quite often of narrators and, and their own schedules. So they need to really be able to fit the production in sometimes in as short a timescale as possible um, because they need to be available for other work. You know, a lot of narrators aren't just specifically working on audiobooks. They're, you know, potentially working actors in theatre and TV and film and, and maybe even in other areas of audio. Um I always think personally in an ideal world as a producer for exactly the reason you said, if you could just be sort of recording a couple of hours a day over a long, you know, three or four weeks stretch, that would be quite good. Um, <laughs> realistically, yeah, of course, realistically more often than not, you are looking at a full day in the studio every time that you, you know, you have a narrator coming in. So what we tend to do is we look at a seven or eight hour session and we aim to record between four and five hours of audio depending on um you know how the production is going and how complex it is again there are certain books that are mentally more draining and difficult to approach uh, every book has its own challenges some are a bit more straightforward obviously um really? fantasy is a good example if you have huge huge casts of characters with all these different voicing requirements um mentally it can can become a lot more difficult and also as well you know there's various wear and tear on the voice um if if you know I, I know a lot of female narrators find that they're doing a lot of work with male character narration male dialogue mm -hmm. narration sorry um that, that that can be more tiring sometimes so but but generally speaking we tend to have um a seven or eight hour session and obviously breaks built in i personally don't like narrators going for longer than 45 minutes at a time without a break but most oh, narrators yeah, yeah. would obviously some like when they're in the flow as a performer they don't necessarily want to be taken out of that so mm, it really okay. does vary on the performer and and sometimes you know you you can tell as a producer director when a narrator is having a difficult session uh, or a part of the session and you go you know what well, i think a break there is right and then other times you know when they're in the zone and not to yeah not to disrupt it but um you know obviously at the start of a session, we always say to the narrators, you know, let us know at any time when you want to take a break or come out if you need to, you know, simple as pop into the loo or just, yeah. you know, grabbing a snack or something. Snacks around 11 o'clock seem to be a big thing with this stomach rumbles that come out <laughs> on the audio, you know, to try and stop those. Oh, no. <laughs> when do the, do the voice actors read from paper scripts or do they work from an iPad or similar? Yeah, so more often than not these days, um, we are working on a tablet. Yeah. So an mm -hmm. iPad we have in our studio with the, the manuscript on, on yeah. it in PDF format. Um, you know, obviously 
again, I'm going to be saying it a lot. There's a lot of variation, but um, <laughs> narrators prep in their own in their own ways. Um, there are um, so I annotate is a, is a way to mark up PDFs, and you know you have narrators that will be going through the PDF and adding all sorts of notes, highlights, things in the margins, talking about the the pacing or the characters or where they might need to take an extra pause or a breath and. Mm-hmm. And then you have others that, that don't really like to kind of have that complication and want to be a little bit more in the moment. So they might have a, a book alongside a notebook with, with lots of notes in there about chapter summaries and characters and what they're going to do with the voicing and so on and so forth. And mm. so they'll, they'll, they'll kind of read off of a clean manuscript. But the reason we tend to go on a tablet more often than not is actually um, paper is noisy, <laughs> to be honest. It is. I am working so hard not to touch any paper <laughs> during this. Yeah, of course. It's um, it's something that a page turn constantly has to be edited out. But you know, again, if someone really, really needed to work off paper, then there are ways that we can make it work. So it does it does vary, but yeah, mm-hmm. more often than not. Um, I to be honest, I can actually remember the last book we recorded off of a paper manuscript. Oh, okay. So as the recording session proceeds, do you edit along the way, like going back to re-record a line, a reception, or to to correct a voice fumble or a mispronunciation that you realise a little bit later hmm. has been has been inaccurate? You can see, yeah. There there are there are two approaches really. Um, I know that it's got a different term elsewhere, but. There is a process called punch recording where you're recording, then every time the narrator makes a mistake, you stop the recording and you cue it up from, you know, the end of a sentence, five second lead in and then effectively dead air for the narrator to talk into. Um, so mm-hmm. there is there is that degree and you can obviously go back and, you know, select a piece of audio. And if you remember something a bit later in, in the book before the editor has got to it, you can kind of go back to it and and find the section and do a drop in or something like that more often than not the way that we work is obviously the producer director is listening to the recording as it goes and then marking it up for the editor um yeah and yeah. therefore sometimes you know we might we might sort of i don't know say there's an example where you know we decide to record something differently than earlier we might just kind of mark it up on the manuscript that there's going to be a a file coming with that, that that line or that sentence or or whatever but yeah it does vary you can obviously you can throughout a session go and change things and edit along the way but more often than not what we're doing is we're recording and marking out for an editor and then we're, we're bouncing the file uh, so we're, we're sending them the raw audio and then the editor is working alongside the manuscript of all the markings as they're listening through and they're taking out all of the fluff takes and tidying up people in the way that they usually would so the voice actor has left the studio what happens next what does post-production do so on our side again it it varies from studio to studio um but but first and foremost you're making sure that the the book is in the correct order that it should be so you know you're going through and you're removing all of the fluff takes and wherever you need to you're tightening and tightening gaps and adding little gaps here and there and um obviously where the narrators maybe had a conversation with the producer director if mm-hmm. if that conversation is still there if they're still recording at that point <laughs> and that comes out and 
good. All yeah. of the things like uh, the coughs and the the sniffs and the swallows, um, you have that. Then it comes down to sort of um, what you're generally looking at. Um, I don't really work on the post-production side, so my colleague Dave would be a better one to really get into the nitty-gritty. But we're tidying up the audio. We're looking at extraneous noise. We're looking at the levels. We're looking at trying to get some consistency across the whole book. So we go through an editing process to get the book in, in the correct order, and then obviously we have um, uh, a proofing process, a QC check, so that we'll have someone going through the book listening while reading the manuscript and highlighting any areas mm. where there's um, what we call a pickup. So um, if there's a misread or a pronunciation issue or just something's happened on in the delivery, like maybe there's, you know, you know the enunciation isn't so clear or they've, perhaps dropped a word or you know maybe there's there's been a bit of a wobble on the delivery say that there's a very very long line and that you can tell that the narrator's running out of breath towards the end i mean with a bit of luck uh, or, or more often than not you know the producer director should be getting that and the narrator obviously you know we're, we're clearing up a lot of that as we record but as i said earlier and, and as you alluded to it's uh it's a long day and um, you know, you know, it's, it's very it's high concentration through this whole work, and there there are always going to be the odd little error here and there. You know, obviously the book goes through the QC checks, and then we have a, a what what you call a pickup session at the end of that, where we then go through and we make those corrections, and it's altered in the audio, and then the the final version is obviously mastered, um, you know, produced to the levels that for the specs that's needed. So every platform will have its own specs in terms of what it needs the audio to to be like mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. before it goes off and is distributed but yeah it, it varies and, and again it depends by client and um, with the us when we work for some us publishers it sometimes goes through two rounds of proofing so mm -hmm. we'll do it as the studio then we'll send the book off and then the book will go through qc checks again and then we'll have another pickup session um but uh, yeah, it varies from studio to studio. And have you ever been in a situation where it's been realised that the voice actor is not right and the project has to be scrapped? Um, no, luckily. Um, so, so definitely not where the, the project has to be scrapped. I mean, you know, you sometimes get a little bit of a sense occasionally. So, so as a as a company. I'd like to think that we're quite thorough in our pre-production process and the way that we audition and we ask the right questions beforehand and we have quite detailed conversations. And obviously over the years, you kind of develop a bit of a knowledge and you a, a kind of a base of narrators. You understand kind of where their strengths and weaknesses lie. Obviously on occasion, you do get um, books where they've been precast by the publisher and sometimes you can be listening and thinking, yeah, maybe this narrator isn't quite right. It's not usually so obvious that you would scrap the whole production. I think uh, usually by that point, it's very difficult to, to sort of move away and to start again. I'm sure it has happened with other studios, but just not in my experience. But I, I think if you ask, if you if you prep in the right way and you ask the right questions and you sort of really think about the narrator, and I think as well where you can try to involve the author a little bit. That's that's where you, you know if you can land on the right narrator, then you you shouldn't really have a problem. It's a potential nightmare but hopefully not too common is there an optimum length for an audiobook do the do the distributors say 
it cannot be more than four hours, six hours, or just is that not really relevant? No, it's not really relevant. I mean, I think um, you know, every book, the word counts vary, so therefore the the length will. And right. obviously, within certain publishers, may have an idea in advance of like how long they want books to be. So we work with some publishers where. You know the books are quite commonly between seventy and ninety thousand words, and you don't see too much variation from that. So that's obviously been a, a decision that's been made, maybe with the other formats in mind. Mm-hmm. Even with a word count, there can be um, there can be lots of variation in terms of what the final duration will be. A narrator's natural pacing. You might have two narrators reading the same book, and the the length will be maybe an hour's difference sometimes. Good grief. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, and and then also, you know, the way that the the narrative itself is structured, um, and the genre maybe as well. Um example I always use, uh, I always when I direct, I tend to think about um the the pacing and the way that the actor kind of uses kind of pauses and, and builds their way through a book in in the same way as like a film would do maybe with music and, and editing mm-hmm. so if you've got like a, a scene where you know you've got someone going through a haunted house and, and it's all really kind of tense and there's nerves and the characters on edge <laughs> it, it might all be really sort of slow so if you have a whole so you, you're naturally getting the narrator, the narrator to kind of take their time over it and build that mm. up and naturally, if you had a whole book like that, not that you would, that's obviously going to be a lot longer in duration than if everything was a like an action movie where it's all really fast-paced and quick cuts and high-octane music, you know, where everything's going like 100 miles an hour mm. and the narrator's really like bashing their way through the book as all this action is happening. <laughs> so, you know, obviously when you break down a book as a producer-director, you're looking at every every passage and thinking of the pacing and the transitions of the the pace and, yeah, and therefore yeah. you know um you can have some books because the book requires it because of the content you know you, you might have a hundred thousand word book read by the same narrator as another hundred thousand word book but because of the the way that the the narrative is structured the, there's going to be a difference yeah yeah i hope that makes sense <laughs> it does it does it does oh that, that brings me to the thought of well if you've got a book of short stories mm. Do you ever have the short stories narrated by different people? Or is it generally the same voice actor for the entire text? Yeah, it, it is possible. Um, I think more often than not, it, it's a decision that would be made from the publisher and with budget in mm-hmm. mind. So if if you think about the project management, the coordination, the running the different recording sessions that would go into having different narrators coming in, um, it, the cost will naturally rack up for for the client, so you have to make a decision based on the budget as well as what you what you would like. Um, I think as well the the per finished hour rate again it would vary from studio to studio, but we would never dream of having a narrator in for a fifteen minute yeah uh, duration and and paying them a per finished hour rate mm-hmm. because it just wouldn't really be worth their time. So. Anything under two hours, we we would charge a day rate because the narrator would obviously be yeah. giving up most of the day to come to the studio, so they would have to have a day rate themselves. So from a from from our point of view, if you had say thirty short stories <laughs> and you were having thirty different narrators, then effectively you're paying thirty day rates potentially. So it does come down to 
it, it comes down to the budget. But I think, you know, with, with those kind of um, collections, um, there is maybe merit sometimes if the whole duration is going to be maybe, you know, eight, nine, ten hours, the, the, you might have several narrators work on it. But I think you have to be really, you have to really make a sensible decision as a rights holder, as a publisher author, to to think about what you want from the book. And, and will will it be enhanced by lot, lots of different readers? And that's, that's the big thing as well. I, I want to pull back a bit and think about the format of an audiobook. Because an audiobook, like an ebook, is necessarily linear. The listener or the viewer sees it, hears it pass through, but they can't instantly flip back and check something at the beginning. So I'm wondering for things like cookbooks or DIY or instruction manuals, where you are, the reader is constantly expected to go back to page X and check the ingredients or go back and see, like for knitting patterns, for example, see what this particular acronym means. Are they good candidates for audiobooks? Yeah, so it, there are obviously some, looking at nonfiction, there are some titles that, that work better than others. No dig, funnily enough, that I did with Charles Dowding. Um, obviously, there were a lot of visual elements that, from from my point of view as a producer-director, I had to do a lot of manuscript editing and consulting with DK and having conversations about what could go in the book, what couldn't. What it's important to... It's important to know that with with any audiobook, you can have accompanying material. You can upload a document that goes alongside the audiobook to be downloaded for visual reference. Obviously, because people are, are buying an audiobook, you would have to presume that potentially there's a reason why they they don't want to read it or they're not able to read it. So you have to be kind of careful of how often you're directing people towards that accompanying PDF, but. Using a cookbook, for example, um, you know, in theory, you, you could have someone talking through some of the step-by-steps, but also you could have that, that accompanying PDF to download for reference. Um, I think cookbooks generally, you don't see too many of them in audio anyway, but certainly with No Dick that we did with Charles, um, there was a whole there was a whole page where there, it was a step-by-step process of building a compost heap and building like the palette, using the palettes to sort of build the structure and everything like that. And obviously that just wasn't going to work in audio. So we described kind of what what was coming up and how you could do it. And, and then we would have a call to action in the, in the audio book to say, refer to page X on the accompanying PDF for a step-by-step guide. And it's an, it, I don't often listen to audio books, so I haven't explored the, the, uh, the form very well. But is there a skip forward, skip back function? I'm thinking of the the, the emerge. Well, it's not an emerging uh, genre, but it's a rehash of a, an old genre where you get choose your own adventure books, especially for kids, where you come to the end of the page, you have two choices to make. If you want to do this, turn to page fifty. If you want to do that, turn to page fifty-six. Can that work in audiobook too? Can you jump forward, or is it more difficult? I think it's 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 possible. Um, you would have to, again, as a producer director and working with the rights holder, you would have to really think of the the logistics and how that would work. Um, yeah. So, so more often than not, nowadays people are listening using an audiobook app. So, if you if you take most, for example, will have a like a page, you know, like a button where you you see the list of chapters. So, obviously, if you're in that and you got to the end of a chapter and it's like go to chapter 10 for one route and chapter 11 for another, then the 
them. In theory, the, the you know the consumer could go click that button, click chapter eleven, and then they could go away from there. Whether that's an enjoyable experience or whether you know, it, it really depends. I mean, I I think personally, I wouldn't mind doing yeah, that yeah. if the story was engrossing and I and I was that in, immersed. But some some people obviously you know they want to just sort of be able to press play and and let it go. But I think within apps nowadays, obviously you can always you can always kind of go back to that that list of chapters, list of files, um, and uh, or what I do quite often because I have to have a lot of audio on when I'm going to sleep is uh, I'll put sleep timers on it. So most of them have sleep timers mm. built in where you go, okay, end of the chapter or mm-hmm. thirty minutes or ten minutes or, or whatever, and go from there. Um, there's also usually within the apps there are there are buttons where you can skip forward thirty seconds, back thirty seconds, mm-hmm. or different variations. I need to do more listening on audiobook apps. I don't do enough. <laughs> well, this has been terrific. Thank you so much, Aaron, for your time. If people want to get a hold of you, how can they do that? Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Um, you can find Audio Factory at audiofactory.co.uk. And um, usually uh, if you send an email, it comes to me more often than not in the old days. So, yeah, you'll get a direct line. Good. Okay, folks, you know where to go. Thank you so much.